Good morning. It's good to see you this morning, to be with you, to have this opportunity to worship God with you as we have done so respectfully. And now this good opportunity that we have to open up God's Word and to study from it. I want to begin this morning with a group of passages that we're going to go through right in a row. Uh, And I want you to be looking as we go through these passages for the common theme. It certainly is there, and it shouldn't be very difficult to find. But I want you to be looking for the common theme in the four passages that we're going to start our study of God's Word with this morning. And the first is in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. It says there, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Secondly, what was just read for us in James chapter 4, this specifically just verse 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Thirdly, Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24. Jesus there says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And Jesus concludes with this thought. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And then finally, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul there says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I want us all to be on the same page this morning with the reality that these are not challenging passages to understand. This is not hard teaching. This is not difficult teaching. This is not the kind of teaching where we need to bring out commentaries or dictionaries or lexicons or dig into the Greek or dig into the language or dissect the words. These passages are not those. They are frank and they are blunt and they are to the point. But what I want us to see is that even though they are not hard passages to understand, I feel they represent the greatest obstacle that we face today to godly living. The greatest obstacle. And that is the strong temptation to do our best 
to be both of the world and of God. We go through life and we convince ourselves that it's possible that I can do it, that I can have a lot of God and some of the world, or even a lot of the world and some of God. As long as I have some of God, or a little of God, or even a lot of God, it will make a difference. But we read passages like these, and we could have, we could have gone over so many others that showcases the reality that simply isn't truth. God cannot be any more frank with us that you cannot have some or a little or a lot of the world and yet still have a relationship with him. It is all in with God or it is all in with the world. Now, I said that's one of our most difficult and maybe our greatest obstacle that we face a godly living. And the reason that that is, is because it is so very hard to stand out, to be different, to be alone, to be doing or saying and going in one direction, but yet everyone else that we're around, whether it be at school or whether it be at the workplace, everyone else seems to be doing and going and speaking something different. And that group is able to look at you, and it's very simple and easy to take note of how you are different from them. To live that way is challenging. Now, this concept and principle comes into play in lots of different facets. A lot of different facets in our lives. It comes into play in in, uh, the places that we go. It comes into play in the music that we listen to or the movies that we watch. It comes into play in the way that we speak. It comes into play in the way that we dress. And there are so many different facets that this one principle comes into play. We simply do not have the time this morning to cover all of them. We're going to cover one very specific spot. But I wanted to throw that out and to start with this principle because you may be here this morning and you may be already, you may be already struck with this principle and thinking about this in a very specific way in your life. And I'm going to encourage you this morning to continue to think about that. If this principle about our relationship with the world and our relationship with God, if this principle that we're going to talk about this morning and your mind takes you in a very different direction, such as maybe one of the ways that we've already talked about, in the way that you live or in the way that you speak or the way that you entertain yourself. I encourage you to make that application. But this morning, the application we're going to spend a few minutes on is the application about what we choose to wear. Each and every day, we make choices. Each and every day, we make choices about how we'll speak. Each and every day we make choices about where we'll go. Each and every day we make choices about the relationship and how we'll handle certain things that come up to us and the relationships of the people that we are around. And each and every day we make decisions about what we will put on and clothe ourselves with. 
Now, sometimes it's very easy for us to say, well, you know, does Jesus care about the places that I go? Most certainly he does. Does Jesus care or does God care about the things that I say? Most certainly he does. Does God care about the relationships that I have and how I deal with other people? Absolutely he does. But yeah, what about the question, does God care about what we wear? Let's not be naive this morning. We're going to be honest with ourselves. And we're going to be simple. Because we all know the answer to that is yes. If we were just to think about, does God care about what we wear? Everyone here would say yes. He does care. Most certainly he cares. And so that brings me to a couple of absolute realities that this morning we're all going to be honest about. We're not going to be naive about or ignorant of or play ignorance of. We're going to acknowledge them right out of the chute. And they are this. Number one, God cares what we wear. He cares what we wear. All of us would agree with that. The second absolute reality that we all will agree on, even if we feign ignorance from time to time, is that each and every one of us here, every single one of us, zero exceptions. All of us have a line that we have drawn with which what we wear is acceptable or not. All of us do. All of us. Now those lines may be very different for sure. But let's not fool ourselves to think that we don't. Sometimes we like to think we don't. We don't draw lines. I'm not about that. No, we all do. All of us do. All of us draw lines. So let's put those two realities together. If we are going to conclude that God cares what we wear, that he has lines and boundaries, and we absolutely will conclude that we all do the same, would it then not behoove us to make sure that those lines coincide with one another? That the principles and the attitudes with which God tells us in his word that we need to be making these choices, if we are not employing those in the choices that we make, that is going contrary to what God is wanting for us. And so let's all agree with those realities but we're going to agree with one more reality and the most comfortable or uncomfortable of all of them. But we're going to start there. Again, let us be honest. Let us not be naive. Let us not feign ignorance. But each and every one of us here knows this morning the parts of the body that are alluring and attractive and can be seductive. No one is surprised by that. Everyone knows what those parts of the body are. Everyone knows. Everyone here as an adult knows what those parts of the body are. And so let us not this morning pretend that we don't know. And so once we are all on those same pages, let's this morning talk biblically about what God says on this topic. And we're going to start about some attitudes that we need specifically towards 
a topic like sensuality. Here we go. All right, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 with me first. We're going to look at a couple of different passages here to kind of kick us off. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And what I want you to be thinking about is what does God say about what our attitude should be in regards to sensuality? So I want you to think just for a second that in our mind, everyone knows, everyone knows the parts of the body that are most alluring. Everyone knows what those parts of the body are. So my question for you this morning, when we make choices in what we wear that accentuate those areas of the body, when we make choices that do that, are we then walking closer to the world and sensuality or are we walking closer to God? When we make decisions that accentuate those parts of the body, which direction are we going? Let's think about what God has to say about what direction that we should be going in regards to sensuality. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 15, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Do you not know that your bodies, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are gods. And so Paul is writing about sexual immorality, about sensuality. And and number one, he says, listen, you flee from that. Paint the picture in your mind. Paint the picture. Flee from it. Run away from it. That's very similar to the wording of the passages that we began our study with. He says, you flee from it. You run from sexual immorality. And he makes the point towards the very end of this text in verses 19 and 20 about our own physical bodies. And he says, listen, your body is not yours. Now, that's a strong point. But the point that he makes next is really strong. Not only is it not your body, it belongs to God. And we're stewards of it. When we clothe this body in the way that we choose to, we are not clothing our bodies, but a body that God has given to me to care for, to look out for, to take care of. So he says, when it comes to sexual immorality, when it comes to sensuality, you flee from that. Look at one other passage in the book of Ephesians. Just a few pages from where you are in the book of 1 Corinthians, but now in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Listen to this line. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning here in verse 3. He'll talk about fornication. He says, but fornication, this is from the New King James, fornication 
and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. And so the Apostle Paul is making, again, the idea about sensuality, sexual immorality, uncleanness, the word that's used here. The New American Standard and the ESV, I believe, both use the word impurity. But what's he say our attitude towards, be, towards that should be? We've already seen flee from it. But what he says here, let it not even be named among you. Let not even be named among you. I really like the rendering of this verse from the New International Version. That says this, you may have it sitting in your lap, but Listen to the words here. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3 from the NIV, it says this, But among you, among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. The very end of that verse, it says, Because these are improper for God's holy people. That idea of holiness separate, set apart, different. And I love the rendering of that because we can understand it so easily. Let there not even be a hint of it. Now, these are big concepts. Sexual immorality is a big, a big genre. It's a big word. But when we are dressing sensually, We're bringing those thoughts to mind. Does that seem like fleeing from or running from or it not even being named or there being even a hint of it? These are the attitudes that we should employ. Let's drill down even more specific. I want you to understand that biblically speaking, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, That God wants us to paint a picture in our mind that if we are uncovered, there should be shame involved with that. So my question this morning is, where is that shame? Where, Where is it? God will make the point that it should be there, and it should be there continually. We'll give you some examples of that. In the pages of the Old Testament, we're not going to read these specific passages. We will go to the book of Exodus and the book of Isaiah, but I'll make reference to what happens in the garden in Genesis chapter 2. But in Genesis chapter 2, as Adam and Eve are there in the garden, and before sin enters the world, they were naked. And the text tells us in in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 25 that they were naked and not ashamed. Sin is not entered into the world. They were naked and not ashamed, but after sin enters the world, they notice their nakedness and they attempt to cover themselves in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 21 is that when God sees them and what they have covered themselves with, What God says is what you have chosen to cover yourselves with, your attempt is short of my standards. And he covers them further. 
And I think that's an interesting way to begin this thought. Now, I want you to think about the idea of shame and its connection with being uncovered. I want you to look at a couple of examples that this plays. The first is in Exodus chapter 28. In Exodus chapter 28, and the passages that are specifically talking about the dress that the priest will wear, someone with a special relationship to God. It's important about what they're wearing. In Exodus chapter 28, listen to what's said beginning in verse 40. He says, For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you shall make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and beauty. And so you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with them, You shall uh, anoint them, consecrate them, sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. This is God. Verse 42, and you shall make them linen trousers to cover their nakedness that reach from the waist to the thighs. And so here specifically made mention is that the priests, that they're going to wear trousers to cover their nakedness from the waist and covering their thighs. One other passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 47. Very different kind of thing that's happening in the book of Isaiah, but a really interesting passage with regards to this. I can get over there. Look at Isaiah chapter 47 is where we are. Isaiah 47 verses 1 through 3. It's in the midst of certainly a prophecy. Daughters of Babylon are going to come out. A lot of times used to signify the world in a lot of ways. But listen to what's said specifically towards the end of this. He says, come down and sit in the dust. This is Isaiah 47, verse 1. O virgin daughter of Babylon, sit on the ground without a throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For you shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Remove your veil. Take off the skirt. Uncover the thigh. Pass through the rivers Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. And I will take vengeance. And I will not arbitrate with a man. Again, the idea and reference that shame should be involved with this. One other passage, and we'll draw all three of these together. Look now on the page of the New Testament. This is a passage when generally we're talking about these kinds of topics that will come up. I want to use it maybe in a little bit different way this morning. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 9, again, the Apostle Paul here is talking to Timothy, and he makes this point, in like manner also the women adorn themselves. This is after he has talked about the men as well. The women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. And so I want you to see here in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, oftentimes we say that this passage, this passage isn't talking about underdressing, 
It's talking about overdressing. And sure, it is. It makes specific mention to those things. But yet, it is actually talking about dress that inappropriately draws attention to yourself. Whether if in a prideful way you get dressed, or in a sensual way you get dressed, each draws attention to yourself, undue attention. What helps us? The words used helps us. He says, instead of dressing that way, you dressed modestly, the word that's used here. What does that word mean? It means respectable, honorable, having a regard for decency. You dress with propriety. This is the word I like. Because this word here in the New King James, it denotes a sense of shame. Denotes a sense of shame which would cause one to shrink from trespassing the boundaries of what is modest. That's a word that I like. Oh, well, often I put up here, well, I won't use this you know, too terribly often, but the old King James Version uses a word, shamefacedness. Now, that's a word we would never, ever, ever use. I don't even know even how to use that, but it's used here, right? shame-facedness. But verse 10 is the key. The key is, the goal is godliness. That's the goal. So it comes down to now thoughts that we're making, decisions that we're making. And I think sometimes we try to convince ourselves that, listen, I'm just not giving much thought to it. And maybe that's the case. Hopefully this morning we're starting to realize we need to give some thought to it. But what direction am I heading in the choices that I make with what I wear? Towards the world or towards God? Godliness. We've got to make sure our ability to be shamed and ashamed is always intact. Because that's what happens When we sin, we should feel ashamed of that and then do something about it. We've got to make sure that we don't callous our shame. So one more passage on this point to kind of, I think, drive home the realities that we're going to make a few applications. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 5. In Proverbs chapter 5, it's a really interesting passage that talks about all kinds of different things. We're going to look specifically at one specific thing that's said. But in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 1 through 19, you have really something different in the book of Proverbs. We often think the book of Proverbs is a book that is, has bullet points, right? It would be a chapter with bullet points. It'll say, it'll say one thing, and then the next verse it may say something else, and the next verse it may say something else. It is a hodgepodge of things at times. A lot of times they're tied together, but it's very bullet pointy. Well, that's not Proverbs chapter 5. It is one narrative. It is one story that's given to us. And the story here is advice, advice that is given about the dangers of a seductive woman. But not just that, the destruction that can come. Now, I don't want to spend any time at the very beginning of this. You certainly can you know, take an opportunity to read 
um, the shepherd's incredible advice, and he's setting up all of the ways in which this woman is trapping and looking to tempt this young man. But it is in the application, the conclusion to this that I want to spend a little bit of time. And so I want you to look now beginning in verse 15. Uh, Verse 15, kind of the beginning of this conclusion that he's going to lay out. And then something really interesting that's said in verses 18 and 19. As you know, I may think it's really interesting because it's on the screen behind me. Look at verse 15. He says, drink water. This is really the conclusion now. Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times and always be enraptured with her love. Now, I want you to think with me for a moment. What the writer here, what God is trying to get us to see and to understand. And there are two things that really stand out for me in verses 18 and verse 19. The first is this. He tells them, you should not be concerned with this seductress. You rejoice with your wife, the wife of your youth. What I really like is the end of verse 19. You be enraptured with her love. I want us to understand this is a powerful word. Now, your translation may use a different word than this. I'm going to put a couple of them up here on the screen. Captivated is often used. Captivated, you be captivated with her love, but also... You may have a translation that uses the word intoxicated with her love. And man, I like that word a lot. I want you to think with me of what God is trying to tell us here. That he tells us in a lot of different places. He wants us to understand that these kinds of things, These kinds of thoughts, these kinds of choices, these kinds of directions, sensual things, are reserved for one man. That's your husband in marriage. And until then, it's under wraps. A secret, if you will, held for your husband. But I want you to think about this idea of being intoxicated. And think about it this way. God's purpose for sensuality, God's purpose for those thoughts are to intoxicate one man with your beauty. That's God's purpose. His purpose is for you to intoxicate one man with your beauty. That is the bullseye with God. That's his plan. That is his purpose. 
for you and the choices that you make and the way that you speak and the way that you clothe yourself is to intoxicate one man with your beauty. That is the bullseye. So what then does that mean? What that means is when you dress sensually, I'm telling you I like that word much better than immodestly because it cuts to it. When you dress sensually, accentuating those parts that we started of the body, that we started with, that all of us recognize. But when you dress sensually, as in to accentuate those parts, with clothes that are too tight, where nothing is hidden, or too low, where everything is seen, or too high where there are no secrets, when you dress sensually, you are intoxicating many men. And that's missing the mark of God. And missing the mark of God is sin. By definition. And so God's purpose for sensuality is to intoxicate one man. But when we dress sensually, we are intoxicating many. And we miss the mark. And that's sin. So here's a couple of applications as we close. Let's start with husbands and fathers. In a lot of ways, it is responsibilities that we have as husbands and fathers to understand this point. And as a husband, you need to understand that your wife is to only intoxicate you with her beauty and not every other man that there is. And so you need to have a conversation with her about those things. And you need to be involved with the decisions that are made in your home as a leader in that family. Fathers... You need to be involved with the decisions that your daughters and sons are making with what they wear. You are the leader of that family spiritually. What man is interested in his wife intoxicating or enrapturing or captivating all other men with her parts that are for you alone? I'm not interested in that. Or what father is interested in his daughter? Intoxicating or captivating or enrapturing all other men with parts that should be kept hidden. What father is interested in her daughter doing, his daughter doing that? I'm not interested in that. And so what it comes down to is we've got to make a choice. I think sadly, sadly there oftentimes just isn't a lot of thinking happening at all. But we've got to make a choice about what we wear. To know that in all things and in all circumstances, I don't turn off godliness. I don't put it away. I carry it with me at all times, including the decisions I make with what I wear. And so that includes each and every day that I get up. But yet, remember, I don't 
put godliness aside. I don't turn it off. And so that includes at moments that we justify ourselves to dress very differently than we would in all other times. Maybe there are times in my everyday life that I get up and I would wear certain things, but if there's a special occasion or a fancy dinner or a wedding or a school function or I'm going to spend time in the pool or at the beach, that those times justify turning off my godliness. And I would then put on something I would not in other times put on. Let's not turn off our godliness. Let's be focused on what God has asked us to put on. So we're not going to close with a negative. As we extend the invitation, let's close with a positive. If we're thinking about what to put on, I'm going to give you something to consider. What should I then put on? Let's close with these thoughts. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let's focus on putting on those things. Secondly, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, I love this. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's a great thing to be clothed with. And then finally, Romans chapter 13 and verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Each and every day, each and every day I wake up and I put on Jesus. And if I'm doing that, then the clothes that I wear will not be sensual. They will be modest. They will be proper. Will that mean that I'll look different from those in the world? It'll absolutely mean that. But that's where we started. So full circle, that's what being holy is all about. It's about standing strong. Even in the face of difficulty, being alone or being different. Because it is what God wants from his people. So I appreciate your time this morning. Thinking about some of these things, they can be difficult topics to be thinking about and considering. I pray that we all do so with an openness to what God has to say. And Matt is going to lead us in a song of invitation. It gives us an opportunity to continue to consider, to think, to meditate on where we are with God. And it may be this morning that you are not in a right relationship with God. And it may be because of your sin that that's the case. And you know that that sin can be washed away in the waters of baptism. And maybe you've been putting that off for some time. Well, let's not put that off anymore. Let's do something about that today. Let's have those sins washed away in baptism. Let's have an incredible relationship with God. Or maybe you've had that relationship with God and you've walked away. Well, let's make the good choice to come back. Maybe we can help in any of those capacities. If we can, let us know as we stand and sing.